for him, there was no way out. <laughs> I like that last line. For him, there was, no, there was a way out for her, but not for him. Uh, relationships are pretty complicated, aren't they? Uh, our oldest son, Jaron, he is 19. Uh, he goes to school in Arizona. Uh, when he was eight years old, uh, one day he was fighting with his six-year-old sister and her friend. And after it was all over, he came and found me and he said, Dad, can I talk to you? And we went in the other room and he, he said, uh, just like completely seriously, totally mystified, he said, I, I need you to help me understand girls. And I said, buddy, as soon as I figure that out, you'll be the first one to know. And so we went and Googled it and we figured it out together. Uh, but uh, loving somebody in any relationship is a complicated dance, right? I mean, especially when romance is involved and we get all kinds of mixed messages from our culture about love, right? I mean, there are people who act like dating is a sport, like the goal is to date as many people as possible without committing to any of them. And I, I read an article recently about people who decided to let their dogs decide who's a good match for them since their dogs seemed to have a better instinct about people than they did. Uh, and you have people who pretend to be married in every way without really committing to each other in marriage. And most of the time, it's because they're hoping that somehow they can protect their hearts from getting broken when it inevitably all ends. The truth is we've all inherited a set of blueprints, a set of rules for how dating and love and relationships are supposed to work and what they're supposed to look like. But, but mostly, if, you, if we look around our culture, they mostly leave us broken and, and, and scarred. I, I love movies. And what's funny about most romantic comedies is that the conflict could be solved in the first few minutes of the movie with a single honest conversation between the two parties that are involved. But the movie drags out for about two hours because these two people simply don't know how to talk to each other, uh, which, which is absurd. But the truth is, it's kind of true in real life, right? Like, anybody remember the movie Bruce Almighty? Anybody, anybody see that movie? Um, yeah, like if you don't, it came out in 2003. So um, I, I realized recently that all of like my, my thoughts about movies, even though I see lots of movies, but all the movie quotes and clips and things I think about are all really old. And this is proof of it. I mean, this is, you know, 18 years ago. So if you haven't seen it, there's spoiler alerts like coming up. Uh, but Bruce is upset about life. And so he gets mad at God. And he's kind of yelling at God. So then God has a meeting with him and actually gives him all of his power. And so Bruce has the power of God. But one of the caveats is that he can't make, he can't make anybody love anyone else. Like he can't make somebody love him. He can't make two people fall in love. Uh, and so he actually had just broken up with his girlfriend and he's really frustrated because he had done some stupid stuff. Uh, and, then, uh, and then this happens. Wait. How do you feel now? Have you completely lost your mind? What, are you drunk? Yeah, I'm drunk. Drunk with power. Love me. Love me. Love me. Love me! I did. Uh, 
I love that. Instead of talking to her, he tries to force her to love him by using his God powers, which is what we do, guys, right? Like, you know, we'd use our God powers, try to force them to love us. But, but as I said, that was one of the rules. Like he couldn't use his powers to make somebody love him. So instead, when she doesn't love him back, like he almost there at the end uses his God powers to destroy her as she walks away. Like, like has that ever happened to you, right? Because there's a fine line between love and hate, isn't there, right? Isn't it true that sometimes the people that we end up hating the most are the ones that we started off loving the deepest? But why does that, why does that keep happening? Why, why is it so difficult to to talk to and connect with one another? Why, why can't we sort through the stuff that comes between us? And, and the truth is, is that we actually think we're communicating, but most of the time we're just kind of filtering and assuming. And here, here's what I mean. On average, the average human being, you speak 16,000 words a day. Uh, and when my wife and I were talking about this, um, like we realized like I'm probably an overachiever. Like I'm probably on the... I'm probably on the high end of that, and she's more on the low. Anybody know know someone that might be above average, that they, they just talk a lot? Okay, a few, a few of us. Uh, when you think about it, like, it, it's pretty strange, right? Our vocal cords make vibrations which create sounds, and those sounds come out of our mouths, and they travel across the air and into that other person's ears, and, in, and they vibrate their eardrums, and then their ears translate, translate those vibrations to their brains, and their brains actually read those vibrations and turn them into words. And, and the crazy part is that we have no control over what happens with our words once they leave our lips, and yet we use 16,000 of them every day, which is Kind of a huge liability, right? When we're using, we're saying, we're using all these words and all, and we have no control over what happens once they leave our mouth. Like, have you ever said something and then it took five times as much saying to try to clarify what you originally said? But, but how much we talk actually is only one of the problems. The bigger issue is the, the difference between our words and our thoughts. Like, for instance, the average person thinks at 400 words per minute. The problem is, is that we all sort of roughly, the average, we all, we all speak at about 100 words per minute, right? So we think four times faster than we talk. So what naturally happens is this, is when someone is speaking, for every 25% of what they say, we add in the other 75% from our own thoughts and ideas, because our brain's not like sitting there waiting for them to talk, right? We're actually filtering and assuming, and we're adding in the parts that we think. In other words, when someone else is talking, you're translating what they're saying into what you assume that they mean. And then you move forward with your interpretation most of the time without getting any sort of clarification at all about whether or not that was actually what they, what they meant. Has that, has that ever happened to you, right? Where somebody took your words and misused them? Have you ever done that to someone else, right? Where the things that were understood weren't really the things that were said? And then someone took your words and they misinterpreted them and, or, or maybe even worse, they misused them or misrepresented them to someone else? And then you had to have 10 different conversations to undo that one conversation. And what they said you said wasn't even what you actually said. It's just what they heard. And it certainly wasn't what, what you meant. Often the truth is, is that we, we hold each other accountable for what's going on in our head, or not, not for what was actually said. All of which is to, you know, to say this, is that communicating with the people you love 
is really, really difficult and tricky, which is why if you stop to think about it, all the other problems in our relationships actually stem from communication problems, which really isn't anything new. In fact, there's always, there's always, this has always been true in every relationship we've ever had. There's this kind of crazy story in the Old Testament, Old Testament about a guy named Samson, and he, he actually was born with some special abilities. He, he and his parents had taken a specific vow before God when he was a child. His parents actually took it when they found out that he was pregnant. And then as, as he was born, he took this vow. It's called a Nazarite vow. And, and God had given him somehow superhuman, supernatural strength. And he could do things that nobody else could do. But, but while he could go out and fight and defeat a thousand enemy soldiers with nothing more than the jawbone of a donkey, he, he ultimately couldn't get out of his own way when it came to all of his relationships. And, and if you go back and you read the story of Samson, every relationship in his life was a disaster. Now, a lot of us, when we think of Samson, if you grew up in church or maybe you even know a little bit about him, we think of a woman named Delilah. Um, but he actually had a wife before he ever met and fell in love with Delilah. And so we're actually gonna read the story of this amazing romance between Samson and this unnamed woman. It's found in Judges chapter 14, uh, begin, beginning with verse one. It says this, it says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her, get her for me. So romantic, right? He, he sees her, he doesn't know her, but he's like, she is the one. Right? And we do that in our culture too, right? Only we don't go home and tell our parents, like, I found the one. We tell an app. We swipe right and we tell our phone, get her for me or get him for me. Because that's how you know, most of the love stories that we're fed go, right? Like people are knocked off their feet the moment that they meet the one. And you know they're the one because when they talk, fireworks go off in the sky behind them. And part of the reason that communication fails, though, in our relationships, though, is because it, it, it falls apart in our relationships because it was never actually a part of the foundation of our relationship. Most romantic relationships get off the ground because, well, they're hot, or you want to be seen or associated with them, or you want to get your physical needs met by them. And that was certainly true for Samson. Now, by the way, just as an aside, if you're young and single or young and in love or young and dating, I have to tell you, like, and, and if you don't believe me, just find a married couple that's been married for a little while and, and ask them about this. But we way overestimate the percentage of the relationship that you will spend having sex. And we, we way overestimate that. And we way underestimate the percentage that we'll spend actually just tackling life's problems together. I mean, even if you're like, rabbits and you're way above average it's still going to be max like about one percent of the time of your life in that relationship that you spend having sex the rest of the relationship is spent like figuring out like how are we going to pay rent and who's picking up the kids tomorrow and will you do this diet with me and did you put the clothes in the dryer and somebody needs to buy dog food and whose family are we going to spend Christmas with and should we loan this money to your brother again can we afford this car are we going out Friday night with friends or is it just going to be us can we actually have some alone time what are we going to do about your ex is our son old enough for a cell phone is our daughter old enough to date what show are we going to binge next 
so often, like we think we'll figure that stuff out later, right? But all, all I know is I don't want to be alone and they're, they're really good looking. But I have to tell you, and we're going to see this bear itself out here just a second in Samson's story. No amount of attraction will actually ever compensate for a lack of communication in our relationships. And so what happens is we get into the relationship and then the communication's all messed up and, and people get their feelings hurt and then we start, things start going sideways and so we bail on this relationship and jump into another and we make the same mistakes over and over and over again. But so in our story, Samson's parents decide to do what he asked them to do and they make the arrangements, which is just a whole different conversation that you know, his parents were involved in kind of setting it all up. But check out what happens in, in uh, skip, we're gonna skip down a few verses in verse seven. It says this, it says, when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman. This is the first conversation they're having. He talked with the woman and he was very pleased with her. They're like, at this point, they're already engaged. And he's like, I probably should go talk to her. Um, and, and so now they're talking for the first time and, and it's actually not even clear if she even said anything at all. It just says that he went and talked to her. Like, we don't really know what was happening here, but what we do know is that a lot of relationships tend to be lopsided when it comes to communication, right? On one side is someone who overshares and on the other side is someone who rarely shares. On one side is somebody who holds it all in and on the other side is somebody who throws it all up. In my relationship with my wife, you know, we met when I was 12 and I am turning 46 here in about a month and um, I'm the thrower upper and she holds it all in. And most of the time I'm just like, no, throw it up right now. Tell me what to do. And she, most of the time she's like, whoa, you just need to keep all that inside. <laughs> Obviously, when that dynamic exists, it, it seriously complicates our ability to connect and communicate, right? Like you, you can't have one person that's doing all the talking and all the sharing and somebody who never opens up at all. It's just impossible to have connection and intimacy. But the story continues. Verse eight says, later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of a lion and he found that a swarm of bees, so he, we skipped the part, he killed a lion. Uh, he saw a lion and, and decided to tussle with it. He kills a lion uh, on his way home. Now he's on his way back. He sees the lion. He found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass and he scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. And he also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it, but he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of a lion. Now, if I was gonna make a list of things I'd never, I thought I'd never talk about in a sermon, eating honey from a lion carcass would probably be on that list because most of us probably wouldn't jump at that chance. We wouldn't be like, oh, sweet. There's some honey in that dead lion over there. I'm gonna go eat it. Um, but, and we don't, it, it's hard for us to kind of understand why this matters, but part of the sacred oath that Samson had taken and, and part of the sacred oath that his, his parents had taken was that, was that he would never ever touch a dead body. So telling them where he got the honey would have been like the equivalent of him admitting like, look, I knowingly compromised my integrity to get what I wanted just for this little bit of honey. Now, there's a, there's a lot of dysfunction. I don't know if you're picking this up. There's a lot of dysfunction going on in this family. 
And, and the, but the truth is this, if we're being honest, sometimes we shade the story. Sometimes we leave out details. Sometimes we just flat out lie to hide the things that we've done or the parts of our story that, that we're ashamed of to avoid a confrontation or a conflict. Like, like for instance, have you ever risked wrecking a whole relationship because you were simply trying to avoid the pain of a moment of hurting their feelings or experiencing their frustration or disappointment? I have. I have. So even though I'm the one that tends to kind of throw everything up, um, I, I, by nature, I'm pretty passive. And, and so I don't like conflict. Um, I also don't want to be told what to do. So that means that I've spent the majority of my life being super passive aggressive. When people are like, I think you should do this or you shouldn't do that. I'd be like, gotcha. And then I go and do it just not while they're watching. I'll do what I want. You won't tell me what to do. I'll do what I, I'm my own man. I just don't want to tell you about it because I don't want to fight. And so there's been times in our lives and we've been married for 25 years. When we were first married though, where I risked our entire relationship. This is before we got married, when we were dating. Because I had done some stupid stuff and did not want to tell her about it. And so I just decided to omit those things or shade the story or lie a little bit or kind of feed a narrative that looked a certain way. Maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about. The story continues in Judges 14, verse 10, it says this. As his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was the custom for elite young men. <laughs> I love that phrase because he was not an elite young man, but he decides to throw the party of an elite young man, um, which is just a funny thing. I, I, is there anything more 2021 than people throwing parties because that's what elite young people, anyway, all right, I don't want to get stuck on that. Verse 11, when the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. This is great. The his in-laws are like, oh, you have no friends to come to the party, you elite young man? Here, okay, we'll pay these 30 people to come hang out with you and have a party with you. Verse 12, Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. So Samson's kind of put off, he's kind of bent. He's like, I don't need you to pay for me to have some friends. So he says, let me tell you this riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. So there's this weird dynamic in the story where no one really says what they mean. Nobody's, nobody's actually talking, like they're just talking to and about and around one another. Nobody actually set, comes out and says what they're thinking and, and what they mean. So Samson's in-laws, they hire him some friends, but they, they, they don't seem to like each other or get along, which, you know, shocker. Then for some reason he decides, I know how to handle this situation. I'm gonna tell them a riddle. So he tells them a riddle and there's just so much drama and so much game playing and nobody's really addressing any of the actual tensions or issues and they just keep kind of plowing ahead. Have you ever done that in your relationship where you're just like, I don't know what to do about this. This stuff is kind of falling apart or there's this tension or there's this pressure point and, and, and we're just not gonna talk about it. We're just gonna keep plowing ahead, right? You know something's wrong, but you just kind of pretend that it's not. Have you ever been around people where everything looks good on the outside, 
but it's all just artificial harmony. You know, like below the surface, like things are not great. And you can't put your finger on it, but you can tell that they're just not okay. See, the truth is when we actually settle for artificial harmony, for that sense of like something's wrong, but we're just gonna pretend like everything's great. When we do that, it actually undermines real intimacy. And we do it because we, we tell ourselves that we're protecting their feelings or we don't wanna make a scene or it's not gonna change anyway or we just sort of hope that if we just kind of like pretend that it's not there, it'll all just sort of resolve itself on its own somehow, which, which always works, right? Where the other person suddenly realizes all on their own, all of your unspoken frustrations and wants and needs and desires and without any prompting from you, they do everything that you hoped that they would do when all the complexity of your relationship just sort of magically disappear. Yeah, that happens a lot, right? So uh, our story moves to this big crescendo. Samson's wedding party can't figure out his riddle. So here's what happens. Verse 15. On the fourth day, here's the wedding party. These are the 30 guys. They, They said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle to us or we will burn your father's house with you in it. I mean, it's getting dark, all right? Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, these are, these are really bad um, communication uh, strategies. Can I just tell you that? Uh, you don't love me, you hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Samson said, I haven't even given the answer to my parents. Why should I tell you? You're just my wife. Verse 17. So she cried whenever she was with him and she kept it up for the rest of the celebration. And at last on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. And then she she went and explained the riddle to the young men. In verse 19, Samson was so furious about what had happened. He went back home to live with his father and mother. And so his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. So Samson insults the wedding party. He gives them an ultimatum. So they threaten his wife and she tries to emotionally manipulate him. He responds sort of passive aggressively. She nags him until he tells her. And mostly all the people in this scenario, including Samson and his wife, they talk about each other instead of actually talking to each other. Samson ends up kind of raging out and he leaves her and goes back home with his parents and she marries the best man. Like these people really need therapy. It, it, I'm like, is, is this a season of The Bachelor? Like, I think, I've, I think I've, where's the rose ceremony? I've seen this one before. So I, look, I, I know that this is kind of an exaggerated example uh, of the kind of dysfunction that's in our relation. It's, a, it's an ancient story. But I, I think if we take a step back, I, I think we'd have to admit that we can all see part of ourselves and part of our relationships in this story. Because even under the, the healthiest of conditions, like we, we have to realize that the person that we love, they speak a different language, right? So all those words they're using, those 16,000 words, and all those thoughts they're thinking, those 400 words per minute, right? They don't actually think and speak like you. Like we, we wanna believe that communication is easier than it is, but, it, but it's, it's complicated and it's full of layers and nuance and it's influenced by our past and our baggage, and so 
there, there's this place in, in the New Testament in, in a book called Ephesians. It was actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and, and as he was writing about this, like the Apostle Paul took the life and the message of Jesus. And then as he started these churches and wrote these letters, he was trying to take who Jesus was and what he was about and the truth about his life and what he came to do and then apply all that to actually human relationships. And so in this letter, this is what he writes in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15. He says, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. See, so often to avoid the tension of doing that, of, of speaking truth in love, we settle for lying and small talk and game playing and ultimatums and threats and judging motives and manipulation and being passive aggressive and maximizing their mistakes while we minimize ours and nagging them and insulting them and making ourselves look good at their expense and gossiping and raging and stonewalling and all the stuff that we saw happen between Samson and his parents and Samson and his wife and her and her friends and like all that stuff, right? And we get stuck in our patterns until there's so much noise between us that we can't even see or hear each other anymore. Always looking to be heard and to understood and be understood, but never actually taking the time to hear and understand. And God tells us that the way forward, the way to, is learning how to communicate like Jesus, which is equal parts truth and love. And most of us err on one side of the other, on one side of the other, right? Where there's lots of truth, or at least what we consider to be the truth, with a little bit of love kind of sprinkled on top. Or, or there's lots of love, or at least what, we, what, what masquerades as love, mixed with some have-truths. Or unless, you know, we get good and mad, and then we finally tell them like it is. But God is saying, don't do that, right? It's not 50% truth and 50% love. It's 100% truth and 100% love. See, speaking truth doesn't mean that you say every dumb thing that pops into your head. In fact, may I suggest that you don't do that. That's a really bad idea. But it means that you actually stop hiding and avoiding and minimize, and you actually share how you really think and feel. And when you do it, that you do it in love, that you don't attack and accuse or threaten them. That's not love. In fact, communicating in love is always going to be characterized by calmness and kindness. How do you know if you're communicating in love? Was it calm? Was it kind? A few verses later in Ephesians chapter four, God actually gives us a filter for what it looks like to communicate with truth and love. In Ephesians four, verse 29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There it is. That's the standard. What should come out of your mouth? Is it helpful? Does it build them up according to their needs? By the way, do you know what that means? Does it build them up according to their needs? It means that how you approach them matters. It means that you take into account their story and how they're wired and how they will perceive what you're saying. Because, because the approach matters, right? And, and if you have kids, you know this. Like we have four kids and I can say the same message to all four kids, but if I say it the same way to all four of them, some of them aren't gonna hear it. And so I have to approach them, especially as they got into, be, my, my, my two oldest kids got into be teenagers, I had to approach them completely differently. My son, he was the oldest. I could walk in and speak directly to him. Jaron, this, 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 and this. Don't do that. Boom, got it. If I did that with my daughter, ain't gonna happen. <laughs> She's not having that. So, when I need to talk to her, I don't just walk in and start talking. I go in and sit on her bed. 
I talk to her about her day. How's it going? I rub her back because I know that the approach matters. My, my, I've learned this about my wife. I grew up in a big family. There's seven, seven of us kids, and so it was always loud. To get your message across, you had to yell. You had to lift your voice. Like even in, we yell everything, even when we're just talking. Like we're not mad, we just yell at everybody. She, was, she came from a small family, and so the slightest elevation in volume, she's like, stop yelling! She can't hear what I'm saying. And I was like, I'm not yelling? And then I realized when I actually lowered my volume, if the pitch of my voice went up, why are you yelling? What are you talking about? See, approach matters. Is it helpful? Does it build them up? See, so many times the conversations we have with those we love, it's being informed by another conversation, the one, the one we're having with ourselves. That conversation that we're having with ourselves about us and about them and about what we deserve and about what they should do and what they meant and what, what we meant. And the question is, what you're saying, is it gonna help them be better or is it just gonna make you feel better? So often we say what we wanna say and we feel so much better because we got it off our chest, but they're over there broken and wounded and it didn't help them at all. And the problem is that every time that happens, it pushes us further and further and further apart. But, but it's tough in the heat of the moment, right? When we're all worked up and we're triggered and how, how do you speak with truth and love? How do, you, how do we say only what is helpful when we're speaking 16,000 words a day and when 75% of what we thought what they said is just us filling in the gaps of our own baggage and experiences? How do we not self-sabotage when they speak a different language and we're upset? And James, the brother of Jesus, gave us one of the most profound pieces of relational wisdom of all time. It's very simple. He said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If you don't remember anything about that, just remember the word pause. Things are getting intense. Pause. Okay. Slow it down. Slow. This one's hard for me. If you're, if you're one of those people that lets it all out and throws it all up, you don't want to be quick to listen. You got stuff to say. And they need to hear it. Am I right? <clears throat> Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. So in the end, our relational health is built one small interaction, one small communication at a time. Before we pray, the most important conversation we ever have is with God. And the conversation that God is having with you it informs the conversation that you have with you and will impact the conversation that you have with others. In John chapter one, verse one, it tells us that God is in a conversation with you and me and the conversation that he's having with us is Jesus. See, God is actually in a conversation with you right now. He's talking to you and me. And for some of us, like the, the perfect place for us to start when it comes to our relationships 
is with the conversation between us and God. Because we've actually never stepped into that conversation. It's always just been one-sided. See, God is speaking to you this morning. God is talking to you about his love. Jesus is reaching out to you. The question is, are you listening? If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to step back today and actually re-engage that conversation with God and allow him to begin to speak to you about you and about the people you love. So that when you leave here, that we can actually take and begin to move into our relationships where we speak 100% truth and we speak 100% love, where we say only those things that are helpful to build them up, where we realize that we can't just steamroll them, we can't hold everything in, we can't pretend and have artificial harmony, that doesn't work but we engage them in the conversation about who they are, who we are, about our life together, where we're headed together and how we solve things and how we work together. And we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak and we're slow to get angry. Let's pray.